How many friends do you have? How do you know and how would you count them? Maybe you think first thought is social media and you think of the number and as you watch it increase, maybe you give yourself a little pat on the back or when someone unfriends you, you wonder what you did wrong. Maybe you start counting with your BFF and then you go to your next best friend and you keep on going down the line, ordering those who are closest to you or those you've been spending the most time with lately. Maybe you feel like it's just one or two people in my life that are truly my close friends that I share my life with who really know me. Or maybe you've been sitting here thinking, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have any real friends, people I know that will be there for me no matter what. Or, on the other hand, maybe you start thinking of all the friends you have and how you haven't been spending enough time with them lately and those people that you haven't caught up with and you don't know what's going on in their life and you're not doing a good job of being friends with. I wonder if, if asking how many friends you have makes you feel grateful or wistful. Does it make you feel uncomfortable or sad or guilty? Is it actually a good question for me to have asked? <laughs> I'm not convinced that it is. I think the way we sometimes talk about friends can almost sound like they are something to collect or to possess. How many of them do I have in my possession? Or to number them or to rank them. And I'm not convinced that that's how the Bible talks about friendship or how Jesus wants us to think about friendship. So what I want to suggest today is I think it might be better to talk about friendship as something we do rather than friends as something we have. That means asking different questions. Questions like, how do we practice friendship? What does friendship look like as an attitude or as a posture that we hold towards one another or other people? How well are we going at being friends to each other, to everyone else in our lives? As Elliot was saying, we're doing this series called Church Everywhere, and so we're trying to look at all the different spheres of our lives during the week and what does it mean to be the family of God and Richmond family while we're in all those different spaces and relationships uh, and opportunities. Last week, we talked about family. Elliot's already said, you know, kind of recapped, we talked about what it means to be family to one another and in particular um, to the next generation and to our oldies. And Elliot even made up a new word last week, awarefulness, which I'm just not convinced is going to happen. But we'll see. <laughs> but he also challenged us to consider um, what it looks like to pay attention to our relationships with each other. And if you're here last week, we were actually given some homework. Does anyone remember what the homework was? of a test. It was just to spend 15 minutes thinking intentionally about how we are investing in our family here at Richmond. So if you made time for that, if you remembered, well done. Um, maybe if you didn't, you could make time for it this week or um, even this morning if you find yourself drifting off while I'm talking. <laughs> but today we're talking about friendship and, and it's interesting because there's definitely an overlap between these two ideas of family and friendship. They're both words that the Bible uses for what it means to be the church. Um, we are family, but as family, it means that we practice friendship towards one another. And so um, family is kind of, I think, our identity, who we are. Jesus identifies us, us as particularly um, brothers and sisters. So while last week we talked about the generations, Jesus talks about every member of the church as brothers and sisters together. That means we belong to each other. You can't ditch family as much as you might want to, because it's who you are. Even if you never see each other, that's who you are. It's your identity. And if you think about it, the brother and sister relationship in a family is actually a pretty unique one. 
in the usual order of things, siblings are the ones that are in your life a lot longer than either your parents or your children because you share the whole of life with your siblings. You, you grow up alongside them and hopefully you live alongside them for all your life. And it's a much more symmetrical or egalitarian relationship than what you might have with your parents or with your kids, yeah? with your siblings. They are the ones you journey with every age, every stage of life alongside. Now, I know in the reality of life that we all live in, not everyone gets along with their brothers and sisters. Not everyone has brothers and sisters. For some of us, our siblings are our closest friends and others, we may not have much of a relationship with them at all. But in terms of how the Bible talks about this, in the ancient cultures in which the Bible was written, being a brother or sister, or sister to one another was actually one of the most important relationships of your whole life. You were actually obligated to your siblings for as long as you lived. It was an, a relationship of mutual obligation that in some ways uh, was more significant than a relationship with a spouse or with a child. It's quite interesting. It's this family. And that's the language that the followers of Jesus, the early church, when they have this experience of meeting God through King Jesus and coming into a community, they choose that language to identify themselves. They say, we're brothers and sisters. We belong to each other. We're obligated to each other. We are in this together. That is our identity. But that has to be lived out in practice. And that's where I think the language of friendship can really help us because at Siblings at their best, good sibling relationships, are friends, yes? I say, my sister is the first friend that I ever had. And at their best, a sibling relationship is a good friendship. And that's another way Jesus speaks about what it means to be in relationship with each other. So I've been thinking about friendship for the last couple of weeks, obviously, leading up to today, and I've realised we could probably do a whole six-week series on friendship because there's so much to say. Uh, the Bible talks about it a lot. I don't think we talk about it very often. Um, and trying to think about all the different experiences represented in this room of all the different kinds of friendships and how we might feel about it. Um, so we're only going to stretch the surface today. But for one thing I've noticed, I hadn't realised until I started preparing for this morning how much our language in our culture actually can devalue friendship. Think about this. We talk about people being just friends as if it's somehow a lower kind of relationship to something else. Or we tell our kids, just be friendly. When what we really mean is be outwardly polite even if you don't like the other person. <laughs> Sometimes we even tell each other as adults to do that in a kind of passive-aggressive move. Just be friendly. You don't have to like them, just be friendly. We can friend people and unfriend them on social media with the click of a mouse and we can count someone as our friend just because we happen to have met them once or have the ability to flip through their carefully curated photos of the best aspects of their life. I think this is one for us women in particular. We can tend to talk about our close friends or our good friends or our best friend or our best friend forever or even our second best friend as if our friends are in some kind of competition to be ranked by us as who's doing best. And it's not just guys, but... Don't even get me started on the phrase, the friend zone. Seriously, if you want to see me fire up about something, <laughs> the whole idea of that is essentially that friendship is purely a means to an end and it's something to be mocked. I think that phrase needs to be banished from our language and if you want to see me get really fired up, come and ask me why. But we know that we live in a culture that is obsessed with sex and that that impacts on all kinds of relationships, the way we relate to each other as men and women, on marriage, on dating, on raising kids. But I'm not sure we've thought through how it also impacts how we think about friendship. I've been reading a couple of books about friendship um, and they have specifically focused in on cross-gender friendship. That's a 
term I hadn't come across before, but how poorly we do at friendship between men and women, even in the church. One of the writers suggested that in some ways we've actually bought into our culture's view of treating one another purely as sexual objects so that we avoid spending time with our brothers and sisters out of some misguided fear and we think that genuine friendships can't happen between people of the opposite gender. Or we define a single romantic relationship as the thing that completes you, famous movie quote, and then there's no room for friendship with anyone else. Now, certainly, if you're married, then I hope you see your husband or wife as your friend because marriage is one of the best places to practice friendship. But your spouse can't be your only friend. Expecting one person to fulfil all your relationship needs is a recipe for either loneliness, codependence, or abuse. Um, I was talking to Elliot about this week, and he said, maybe that's a statement that needs a little bit more unpacking. <laughs> I don't think it's true. Loneliness, because while it might seem in the first flush of romance that one person is going to be all that you ever need, it can set you up for huge disappointment when you realise that that person cannot live up to your unrealistic expectations. Or codependence, because if you are looking to find your fulfilment in one relationship, psychologists will tell you that that can lead to unhealthy fixation, lack of trust and lack of self-worth. And abuse, because there, if there is someone else who wants to be the only relationship that you have, that indicates a desire for control that should serve as a big red flag. So we all need friends. But... The language is fraught, and I think, is it any wonder we don't talk about friendship all that often? I realise it's not even actually a word for the action of being friends with someone. Think about it for a minute. There's a word, befriend. You can befriend someone, which means to make friends with them, yes, to become friends. But what's the word for the ongoing practice of friendship? There isn't a unique word for it. it you can friend someone, but that's actually only in the dictionary because of social media, and it still indicates the kind of initial act of becoming friends. We don't know how to talk about the ongoing practice of friendship with one another. Let me dig a little bit deeper than language. Would it surprise you to know that across our community, I'm talking about this in a pastoral team this week, when people get real with each other and talk about what they would really like most from being part of this church family here at Richmond, the most common request we've heard is simply this, I want to be friends. I want people to be my friends. Or as one of my friends said to me a couple of weeks ago, making friends as an adult is hard. Kids are actually so much better at this than us. As small children, they're often not afraid to ask, will you be my friend? Will you play with me? <laughs> Just put it out there. But somehow as we grow up, we lose the simplicity of that and it becomes much more difficult. I remember I was in a leadership retreat a few years ago with a group of pastors and at this point, we had spent about 18 months together getting to know each other, and we'd gone pretty deep in sharing some of our struggles and challenges. And as we went around the circle, one of the guys confessed to the rest of the group, and it was definitely framed as a confession. He said, if I'm honest, I just don't feel like I have any friends. And around the group, person after person admitted that they often felt the same way. How is it that the church family, the community where Jesus says we find belonging, and identity is a place where too often, too many of us feel like we don't have friends. So, what does the Bible have to say about friendship? Actually, an awful lot. If we're here a long time, there are many, many stories throughout both the Old and the New Testament that give us pictures of friendship. 
how friends supported one another and championed one another through good times and bad times. You might think of stories like Ruth and Naomi, or David and Jonathan, or Jesus and Mary and Martha, Paul and Barnabas. There are at least 25 individual sayings in the book of Proverbs, specifically about how to be friends, or in fact, how to do friendship well. Jesus tells five different parables about friendship. Uh, talking about friends who rejoice with one another, who mourn with one another. talks about receiving friendship, which is offered rather than expecting or presuming on it, taking it as a gift. And, you know, the things that people who didn't know Jesus, outsiders who looked at his life, said about him more often than anything else, were all about who he was friends with. They called him a friend of sinners, a friend of the outcast. In the Gospels, we see Jesus' friendship worked out in practice as he lives alongside and loves well a whole bunch of different kinds of people, tax collectors, fishermen, Pharisees, zealots, outcasts, older women, younger women, Samaritan women, scandalous in his day. Jesus does friendship well. And so I think Jesus is our best example of what the action of friendship looks like. So Mick read to us Jesus' words from John 15. And he says to those who follow him, I have called you friends. You are my friends. And then he speaks pretty clearly about what that friendship looks like. He shares his whole self with us. He allows us to know him. And he loves us to the point that he is willing to give everything, to lay down his life for us, his friends. That's a pretty countercultural understanding of what friendship is. In my experience... We often reserve talk of love, particularly sacrificial love, exclusively for marriage. But this isn't about erotic love. It's not about love as a feeling. It's about love as an action, love as a practice. And the radical message of King Jesus is that we are called to demonstrate practical love, not just to one person, not just to a handful of people, but to everyone we come across. Jesus calls us to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. Or as the Apostle John says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I've sometimes heard that as almost an abstract kind of thing. Like maybe we have the capacity to love because we have experienced God's love. And and that's true, but I think John and Jesus are trying to get at something far more practical. We love in action. We show practical actions, practices, postures of love towards one another because God has loved us in action, practically, by his posture and by what he did in sending his son and giving his life. Um, I hope you don't, some of you don't get weirded out what I'm about to say, but the words used in the Bible for friendship are often variations of the word lovers. Now, not in the way that we might immediately hear that word, but simply as one who loves. So both in Hebrew in the Old Testament and in Greek in the New Testament, a friend is one who loves. So in the Old Testament, a friend is an ohav, because to love is ahav. So it is the one who does the action of loving. Now, ahav is not the only word for love. In the Old Testament, there's another word, dod, which is used, for example, in Song of Songs to talk about the lover and the beloved in that context. And there's another word, kesed, which is used for God and his faithfulness and unfailing love for us. But if you wanted to talk in ancient Israel about the everyday regular love that you have for your partner, for your kids, for your parents, for your friends, for your neighbours, for every member of your community, you would talk about ahav. So a friend is one who loves. 
in all its practical actions. Same thing in the New Testament. The word most commonly translated friend is philos, one who loves. Those words are also used pretty much interchangeably throughout the Bible with the words for brother and sister. It's the same language. If you're a member of the family of God, you are brothers and sisters in identity and you are ones who love one another in practice. Friends. A lot of you might be familiar with um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a pretty famous passage in the Bible that's all about love and it's been read at many, many weddings, which is great because it gives us a really practical picture of the kind of love that is going to help a marriage be strong and healthy. But it wasn't written for a wedding. It wasn't written to a couple. It was written to a church family. And it was written to a church family that had a lot of problems, uh, people who really struggled to get along with each other and had some serious issues going on amongst them. Paul urges them to love one another with patience and kindness, without envy or boasting, with no rudeness or self-centeredness, without getting easily angered, without keeping records of wrong, always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. That is the kind of love we as brothers and sisters and friends are called to show towards each other. So look around you. Seriously, take a look. Stare someone in the eyes, stare them down. These are the people that you are called to practice that kind of love in action. True friendship too. So the, the final set of words used in the Bible for friends, uh, Hebrew rea and Greek heteros, is about uh, companion or neighbour is most common translation of those words. So it's kind of about proximity. It's about being near to one another. The people you do long life alongside, right? they're the people that you're called to love. Not because they're better than anyone else, but because you actually interact with them. And if love is an action, they're the ones that you show it to because you relate to them. The people you spend time with. The reality is, for all of us, there's some people we spend more time with in our lives and live closer to and have more daily experiences in common with. I don't think that means we rank them as better friends, but it does mean we have more opportunity to practice the act of friendship with them that same posture that we hopefully show towards everyone. So we know how to be friends, the Bible says, because Jesus is our friend. We learn love and friendship from him. He has been open to us. He wants to do life with us. He welcomes us with genuine affection. He makes himself vulnerable to us and with us. And he demonstrates a love that is willing to lay down his life for us. So he shows us that true friendship think requires intentionality and it moves beyond our cultural expectations to genuine love. So the practical question, what does that look like? What does that look like for you? What does it look for me to practice this kind of friendship with one another as followers of Jesus with our friends and our colleagues in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods? If friendship is something that we do out of who we are, how do we keep learning to do friendship well? A few thoughts for you. Um, as a church, we hope that it starts right here in our gatherings. When we come together on a Sunday, we want to be a church that intentionally practices friendship well. We want to move beyond being initially friendly, although that might be where it starts. But when someone new comes to this gathering, we want to be a church where someone greets them with a smile and asks them their name and shows them an offer of friendship. Um, if you hear last week, Elliot gave us an amnesty on names. So letting us feel free to ask one another if there's someone whose name you don't know or if there's someone's name you should know or already do know but have forgotten, that it's okay to admit that. 
And so I'm, I want to extend that amnesty to today, and then I'm like, maybe we could just extend it indefinitely every week, because that would certainly help me out. But if you are new here, we want you, your experience to be that someone makes themselves known to you. And if you've been coming here for any length of time, we want to be practising this. And I know for some of you that might sound scary. It's hard to go up to someone you've never met before or you're not sure if you've ever met before. Um, can I give you my really basic, simple tip? Um, I live in an apartment building and I want to do friendship better with my neighbours. And so I have this really simple practice that I'm trying to do because there's a lift. Whenever you get in a lift, my mantra, if I can call it that, is eye contact and a smile. And you'll be surprised at how unusual that is. It's just not something that people practice day to day. And it's also surprising how often that opens up a conversation and an opportunity to say, it's not rocket surgery. It is <laughs> deliberately. I know I love that phrase too. <laughs> Just offering the simplest initiation of friendship. But we also want to go further than that. So one of the things that people from other cultures say about Australians is that we are often okay at the initial welcome, but maybe not necessarily so good at the follow-up, at the next step whether that's remembering someone's name, I'm bad, to say hello the next time we see them or asking for their details so that we can stay in touch or inviting them around for a meal or out for a coffee. Apparently, Australian friendliness can feel like it falls away pretty quickly. That's pretty challenging to hear it as an Australian. <laughs> we're not good at this. Now, we can come up with all kinds of reasons. Maybe it's because we feel like we're so busy or we're already struggling to keep up with the friendships that we have. We don't think we have space. Maybe we're just comfortable... Or maybe we're a bit oblivious. I think often we are afraid. We are fearful of coming on too strong. Australians definitely don't want to go too, you know, too far too soon. And so we don't want to pressure people beyond what we think they might be comfortable with. Now, yeah, we, we need to be responsive to the individual in front of us. You know? If someone's trying to get away and you're cornering them, maybe you've gone too far. But most people who've been new to our culture would say that our flaw is not offering too much friendship. <laughs> That's not the problem that we have. We need to be willing to put the ask out there more often, to take the next step of friendship. What are you doing for lunch today? Can I follow you on Insta or friend you on Facebook? Can I get your details so I can message you about what's happening here next week? Would you like to come to our gospel group? Wouldn't it be great to hear those kinds of questions more often? Because people can say no, but they can't say yes unless we ask. So it's going to take some courage. And it's going to take some vulnerability. And in fact, when our pastoral team got together this week to pray, we were talking about how similar friendship is to the things that we named in our Imagine Church series last year. If you remember that. But we did this series where we pictured what we would love our church to look like. And we named five things. Vulnerability, hospitality, courage, generosity, and hope-filledness. Friendship looks a lot like that. <laughs> Friendship is vulnerable because we've got to be willing to offer something of ourselves, not knowing whether it will be accepted. Uh, friendship is hospitable because it means inviting, opening our lives and our worlds to someone else and inviting them in. I think friendship is courageous because we have to be brave and overcome our fears or our reticence or our embarrassment. Friendship is generous in that it seeks to give away something of ourselves. And friendship is hope-filled because it is looking to draw out something in return from the other person. So it's a pretty good basis for friendship. And surely, Sophie, someone should have called out bingo by now. Um, if you haven't been around Richmond that long, you might not know it yet, but we are developing our own language. Um, but it, that's actually something that any group of friends or family do. Every family has their own language. Because the more time we spend together, 
the more that we listen to each other, the more that we listen to the Spirit of God in and through one another, the more we find ourselves naming and describing and affirming who we are and what we do. So there's a reason we talk so often here about postures and rhythms and practices, because <laughs> it's who we are and it's who we want to be. One of my personal favourite phrases that I've learned from Elliot is, embrace the awkwardness. <laughs> embrace the awkwardness, I like it. Maybe because I'm awkward, but sometimes the reason we don't take the next step, whether of friendship or anything else, is simply down to our fear of being awkward. But awkwardness is not a crime, it's not a sin, it's, you'll get over it, it's not going to last very long. If we're going to be vulnerable and courageous, if we're going to be generous and hospitable and hope-filled with one another, we're going to need to embrace the awkwardness. Um, gospel groups are a great place for this. That is friendship, gospel group. But it's also embracing the awkwardness. When we gather together in a smaller group in someone's house during the week, we're doing life together, we're practising love in action, we're practising friendship. So if you're not in a gospel group, talk to someone about it because it is truly the next best step you can take in practising friendship here at Richmond. And if you are in a gospel group, how are you going at practising friendship to one another well? And maybe who do we need to be inviting in to that friendship? Another practice we talked about that we want to encourage more and more, and we talk about sometimes from the front, is reading the Bible one-on-one with someone else from Richmond. This is something a number of us have been doing over the last couple of years, and it's a really good spiritual discipline and a good way of learning more about King Jesus to be reading the Bible. But it's also an amazing way to practice friendship. There's just something that happens when you open up God's Word together. We talk about embracing the awkwardness. <laughs> I think everyone who's done this would say it's a bit strange and a bit awkward at first. Um, but then you do it and, you know, you have to give something a go. You have to practice something and, um, before it even begins to start to feel natural or you feel like you're good at it. But it does. Practices become habits and then they're amazing. So if you're interested in this, we'd love to give you some ideas of how you can do that. I believe we can even provide a bit of a matchmaking service. So if you think, I'd love to read the Bible with someone but I don't know who else is interested, then let's, you know, find people. Um, and as Elliot said last week, it doesn't have to be something you feel like, oh, this is going to be another thing I have to add to my life. We want to feel like, how can we integrate these practices into what we're already doing during the week? I heard a great story this week, actually, of two of the guys in our church who are reading the Bible together, and this week or last week, uh, they did it over the phone while sitting in their cars on opposite sides of the city, because that's where they happen to be. Um, Lauren and I usually meet in a cafe, but like, you could listen to the Bible or read it together while you're at the gym or doing your shopping or you're on your lunch break or your kids are having a nap. The possibilities are endless. Just give it a go. So they'll couple of really practical things. There's lots of other ways we can practice friendship together. In Jesus, we see someone who is a friend to the least likely people. And so we want to ask, what does it look like for Richmond to be a community that offers friendship to outsiders, to those that might seem more marginalised? Who do you know that might feel isolated or overlooked or lonely? And how can we practice friendship to them well? Something we want to continue to explore is how we show friendship in action to our Indigenous brothers and sisters. So we had a really powerful moment here last year in October. We had Brooke Prentice, who's an Aboriginal Christian leader, come and speak to us about moving beyond reconciliation and the language of reconciliation to the language of friendship. And she actually offered us, in the end of her message, she offered us the hand of friendship. Um, and Elliot jumped up and we accepted it. And we said, yeah, we want to accept the hand of friendship. And we stood here side by side with her and said, yes, friendship is the language we want to use. But what do our next steps look like? in practising that. We're hoping to have Brooke back here um, at Richmond this year, 
We've also been offered the hand of friendship from the Aboriginal Berean Church, which is a, a member church of the family of churches that we are a part of. They came and joined us for a Sunday morning service last year. We're hoping over the next few weeks and months that we can go and join them in one of their Sunday night services. We'd love you to come. It's just like one simple next step of us showing friendship to them. A couple more thoughts. I, I do want to challenge us in this whole area of cross-gender friendships. Again, this might include embracing the awkwardness as well as some measures of carefulness. But I think we need to firmly reject the idea that men and women can't be friends because Jesus clearly demonstrates otherwise. And he calls us to love both our brothers and our sisters. We need to practice this, and practice is a good word for it, because there can be a lot of unhelpful baggage and assumptions around it. Maybe sometimes we just need to name the elephant in the room and get over ourselves. But we are better together. And as a church, we have the opportunity to model to our culture a different way of being, where we genuinely live as brothers and sisters. That is a gift that we have to offer the world if we can do it well. And finally... What does it look like for you to practice this kind of friendship with those in your life who aren't part of this community? Your, your friends, maybe your families, your neighbours, your colleagues. How do we do friendship well? Part of this idea of practice, I hope, is that what we do here in church, what we do as a church family at Richmond, is we have some freedom to try things, to give things a go, to embrace the awkwardness. To... One of the benefits of this is that we get better at friendship as a practice, and so then we're actually better at it in all the other spheres of our life as well, where maybe there isn't that permission or freedom um, to be bad at it, if that makes sense. But it starts to come naturally, and then it overflows into our other relationships. So we can be the kind of friends, having learnt it in our practices here, who put our other friends first, who show generous love in action to them, who courageously and vulnerably share our lives with them, who offer them the gift of a deeper experience of friendship than they might otherwise know. And surely being hope-filled in our friendships, I think, means being willing to share the hope we have in Jesus with our friends. Something often Australian Christians can be scared of because we don't want to be pushy and we don't want to be annoying and we don't want to be seen as Bible bashing. But it does mean being prayerful and awareful. See what I do there? Being open with what is going on in our lives including our relationship with Jesus, letting other people see it, the difference that he's making in our lives, and speaking about the gospel when we have the opportunity. So I started this morning by asking you how many friends you have. I said, I don't think that's actually a very good question. The more important question is, how are you intentionally practicing friendship well? What is the next step of friendship that you can take? So last week... Elliot gave us homework, so I'm taking that as permission that I can do the same thing today. So I want to give you some homework, and I'm serious about this. I would love it if you could grab a pen or a paper or your phone so you can write something down. Right? So find something that you can write something down, take notes on, so that you can take this away with you. Okay? Give you a bit of time, dig it out, share it around. Maybe someone will pass something around if you haven't got anything. Because I want to challenge us to think, what are the next steps? We can talk about this all day, but we want to practice it we need to be intentional and make some plans about our next steps. So, we've got something. Okay, I have three simple pieces of homework for you, putting on my teacher hat. Three pieces of homework. Number one, what is the next step of friendship? Ah, excellent. We've got some pens. If you want to put your hand up, if you need a pen, that'd be great. I'll bring one to you. Number one, what is the next step of friendship you can take right here, right now, this morning? Scary. What is one simple thing you can do this morning? It might be finding someone you haven't met and asking them their name. That's it. 
It might be finding someone that you have met and confessing that you have forgotten their name, but you would like to be reminded of it because you would like to get to know them better. Uh, it might be asking someone you spoke to over the last couple of weeks how things are going. It might be praying for someone. There's all kinds of things you can do. It can be big, it can be small. But what is one thing that you can do right here, right now, this morning, before you leave this building? Okay, that's number one. Number two, what's the next step of friendship you can take towards our Richmond family this week? That might be putting your hand up to get into a gospel group. It might be, I want to read the Bible one-on-one with someone. It might just be, I'm going to send this person a text message during the week to see how they're going, to let them know that I'm praying for them. It might mean inviting someone out for coffee. It might mean inviting someone over for a meal or inviting someone to your gospel group or encouraging your gospel group to go deeper with each other. There's heaps of things it could be, but what is one thing that you can do this week? Again, it might be really little, it might be a big, brave step that you want to take. What is one thing you can do this week to take the next step of friendship towards this family? Okay? And number three, last one. Who is the friend that comes to mind when I talk about showing Jesus' love in action outside of this community? Who is the person that comes to mind in your life who needs the love of Jesus, who needs to know about Jesus? Who's one person that comes to mind and how can you be praying for them this week? I'm not going to ask you necessarily to write down a big, bold step. I want to ask you, how can you be praying for them and how can you be ready and awareful and open to an opportunity to share more of yourself with them or to share your story or to share your faith or to share love in action when that opportunity arises. Okay, so we've got that. Good teacher we should review, yes? Number one was something you can do right here, right now today. Number two was something you can do in this community this week. And number three was someone else in your life that you can take the next step of practicing friendship well. You can keep writing, keep thinking, because I'm going to pray for us. So feel free to keep your eyes open and keep writing as I pray. Let me pray. King Jesus, thank you that you are our friend and you have shown us what friendship looks like and it is so much more than we might have expected. Um, And that is a wonderful gift that we have received and it is a challenge to us as we think about what it looks like for us to live out friendship well. And so I want to pray right now Uh, As we've been thinking about this, we pray for those people that you have brought to our minds, those friends that we want to share your love with, maybe who don't know you or who are going through really difficult times. Help us to pray for them. Help us to be ready and open to share ourselves with them. Maybe even to lay something of ourselves down for them so that they might experience your love in action through us. Lord, we pray for how we do friendship with one another. And we pray for those ideas and to help us to remember and to be brave to practice what we have thought of this morning so that we might deepen our friendships with one another during this week. And Lord, we pray right here, right now for courage that we might take that next step with each other this morning, that we might practice friendship well right here, Because we know that the more we practice it, the more we embrace the awkwardness and the difficulty of it, the better we get at it. The more like you we become and the more we are able to make it a habit that spills over and overflows into all of our lives. We love because you first loved us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to end our time together now in this room. 
Uh, and there's coffee, as there always is. And I think there's a bit of morning tea because there's someone's birthday tomorrow. Um, so, but don't, you know, the reason we're ending right here right now is because you've just written something down. You've just thought of something. So be brave and do it, right? Right now, go find that person whose name you want to ask, that person you want to catch up with, see how they're doing, and let's continue to do friendship well over coffee. Thanks.